Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 147. It's found on page 525 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Please bow for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Please, Lord, let us apply it to our lives and let us never take it for granted. Amen. He heals the brokenhearted. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. When I picked Psalm 147 back this fall, um, as we're looking at God's attributes, um, who God is, the aspects of him, um, I did not know what the weather would be today. As we talk about, he hurls down crystals of ice like crumbs who can stand before his cold. Did not have a clue, but God did. Um, and that is fortunate because today we're talking about God's omniscience. That is, God is all-knowing. He has perfect wisdom. He has perfect knowledge of everything. And so we're going to discuss that. And as we do, uh, you know, we're working through the different attributes. And I mentioned how all of these are interconnected. Um, you'll notice here it's praising God's perfect power um, his strength, and um, um, along with his knowledge. The one who um, 
determines the number of the stars, gives them all names. His abundant power and understanding is beyond measure. And one of those things that makes sense. God cannot be all-powerful if there was any area where he did not have knowledge. Um, God could not have perfect knowledge if it wasn't for his eternal nature. If uh, he was not outside of time, then events that would happen would be as surprising to God as Saban's retirement was to me, right? He would just, he would learn, he wouldn't know what's going on, and thank you for the lack of boos and hecklings and other assorted... um, God's knowledge is perfect. So we're going to... Is combined with every other aspect of who he is. And the other thing I want us to remember is, as we're talking about these, one of the things that I hope we get out of it is that there's things we reflect on this that just stretch our mind to think, I can't understand this. I can't comprehend this. Um, because that is part of the hope, is to understand how incomprehensible and beyond us God is. A God that we could understand, a God we could comprehend would not be worthy of our worship. And so part of this is to kind of think of ways God is so far beyond us um, that we are mere human. And he truly is God, um, incomprehensible. Um, And that should lead us to praise. To, To wonder and to marvel should lead us to praise and worship. Uh, which is one of the reasons I'm picking these passages that talk about his wisdom out of the Psalms. Anywhere in the scripture, it could talk about his knowledge of um, his knowing all things and his perfect wisdom. He knows the end from the beginning. Who can give counsel to our Lord? God uh, knows all things is, is a theme throughout scripture. And all of these get tied up in praising and worship him in the Psalms. And so we, we sing psalms, we sing hymns of immortal, invisible, God-only wise, because only God is perfectly wise. So let's think of a, a few things about God's perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge. God knows all things. That means you look at those pictures NASA puts out of um, all these stars, the, the beautiful crab nebula, and the beautiful horseshoe, and all these things that are just amazing and beautiful, and you see that this dim haze of light, and you start to peer in and realize countless stars. He is the one who's determined them and gives them all names. What an amazing thing to look at this picture and to think of how many stars in the universe we can't even imagine. I mean, like, like I say, you start adding enough zeros onto a number and it's incomprehensible. It, it just makes no sense. A- after a certain point, our, our brains can't contain it. And yet God names it like, like we might name our pets. Yet God also knows the very number of hairs on your head. And the smallest sparrow doesn't fall apart from his knowledge. He doesn't know just the big, but he knows the microscopic. He knows all things. But more than that, what kind of amazes me about God's knowledge is he knows our mind. He knows our hearts. I don't know my mind half the time. right? I mean, I, I go into a room, and I can't remember what I was doing. I, 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 
oftentimes I go into a room and I do something else and have to walk in the three. Let me, I would not get my 10,000 steps if I could keep up with these things. Yet God knows all things. All right, so we can't think of our thoughts. We can't think, I mean, we might think our memory is pretty good. You get married and start telling a story. You realize how bad memory is. This might corrects your, your, your details, right? We, 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 we think of things, um, and we forget them. And, and somebody reminds us of something we've forgotten, and we have all of this going on in our head. And, and to think your mind is constantly thinking. I mean, you're, you're constantly thinking of something. You're always, you know, why did this happen? You're rehashing arguments. You're thinking about a shopping list. All of this is going on. And you can't keep track of yourself. God can keep track of you. But more amazing than that is you look around and you think, wow, all these constant thoughts are going around every single, and you add to the billions of people alive that God is aware and knows it all. God knows all of this. His knowledge is um, without end. And the way he knows is different than us. We come to understand. We learn things. We look something up on Wikipedia. We take a class. Somebody tells us something. We come and grow to an understanding. God simply knows. There's no learning to God. He simply knows. There is no forgetting to God. There's no memory. He simply knows all things. And he has all of this that he um, um, has Beyond that, he knows, and he knows without coming to a knowledge. He simply knows. But God also knows every possible outcome. He, he, he knows all possible ways things could have happened. Uh, the idea of multiverses and, like, different alternate realities is a big thing in science fiction and maybe posited by science. But, but here's the idea, like, you... Every decision you make could have come to a different reality. You think, gee, what had happened if, if I had done this, if I would taken this job, if I would married this person, if I would moved to this place. All of our life would be possible things. And we play out realities of what would have happened if, you know, William had lost the, the Battle of Normandy or something. We, all possible things God knows. And if you think of the, the, the number of possible worlds he knows every possibility, and he knows this one um, as, as what is. So all of these are just kind of, you know, heavy to think about. I hope you had plenty of coffee if you're ready for this. But the most mind-boggling thing is that God knows himself. We know what God has revealed to us in Scripture. We know who God, we can talk about his omniscience. We can talk about his all-powerful. We know the story of what he has done in creating and redeeming and sending Jesus. We know all of this, but all of that is ultimately finite. There's only so many atoms in the universe. There's only so many possible options of universes, and all of that is finite, and just as we know this, we, we, we're seeing only a fraction of who God is. Like all that we see and all that we know and all we, that it can be as mind-blowing as it is, God is infinite. 
He is without bounds. He is eternal. He is without any limits. There is no end to who God is. There's no end to his love. There's no end to his communion with himself. There's no end to who he is. And God knows himself. Therefore, God knows the infinite. So, so this knowledge of who he is that we only see a mere fraction of. Job talks about all this revealed is a mere um, edge of his garment of who he is. We only have a fraction because he is infinite and we couldn't begin to understand who he is. And his self-knowledge means his knowledge of the world is limited, but his self-knowledge is without limit. God's knowledge his understanding is beyond measure. Heady stuff for 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. How does that apply to your life? How does that apply to what we do? Well, let me, let me bring in three ways this should be great comfort for us. Um, the first is, how do we pray? We're not informing God of anything when we pray. Our prayer list isn't reminding God of the things that are going on in this world, and he might get busy and forget. Therefore, we want to draw his attention to what's going on. Our, 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 our prayers are not giving arguments and reasons to help God understand. Here's why you ought to um, help me. Um, here, here's God why you should make it snow. I've I'm, I'm got all these things, right? When we're praying... It, some have asked, if God already knows all these things, if God's all-knowing, why do we pray? Well, it's the same reason you spend time with someone you already know well. We're not just exchanging information. I don't, I don't take Robin to dinner just to exchange what our calendar is going to be for the week. It's relationship. It's connection. When you're praying, you're remembering your dependence you're showing your trust. You're showing your need. And so you bring your needs to your loving Heavenly Father who already knows and knows all things. But he calls us to pray because he wants the connection with us. And he wants us to have the dignity of being involved in what's going on with those prayers. That we who, just as we serve and love our neighbors, to be involved in prayer is to participate in what those prayers are asking for. And so he calls us to pray, not to inform him, which also should kind of impact the way we pray. Are, are your prayers ever like mine? I want to tell God how he needs to solve my problem. God, here's my plan. Why don't you make my plan come to fruition? Here's what you should do for me. That's not the way we do this, if we're wise, because if God is all-knowing, wouldn't he have a wiser way of dealing with things. I've, I've, I'm continually surprised with how often God's answer to my prayers are greater than what I would have been asking for. God knows. And so our prayers ought to be bringing our needs without bringing our advice. Telling him of what we need from him to show our dependence, show our need without saying, but here's the way you ought to solve this, that we trust him. The second um, way God's omniscience ought to help us is 
to convict us of our error of thinking that we are omniscient. My, um, I don't have my phone with me, which makes me wonder why it's been vibrating in my pocket. But it's one of those, like you have your phone and you have all knowledge with you, right? You're, you, you can watch a video of what's going on in the Middle East. You, you, you can look up facts on Wikipedia immediately, and it gives us the view that we are omniscient. We're all seeing. We know all things. But we don't. There's errors, there's lies, there's not cameras everywhere. The things that really count aren't being shown and seen and we don't know. And so there's a temptation for us to think that we can know all things. And we need to trust that when we're worried about those things that we can't know and can't see, we have to just confess our ignorance and and go to the one who does know. If we get worried about things that we think we know, to trust the one who does know. And admit that we are not all wise. We are not all seeing. Let me say this also really hits us when we deal with other people. Anyone ever done anything to you that kind of annoys you or, and you immediately think, oh, they did that because they were being mean to me. They were doing that to get back at me for this. This is what they were really saying when they made that comment. You dare put your place of all you put yourself in the place of God alone who can read minds and know hearts. That's what we're doing when we begin imputing motives to other people. So it, it, it is appropriate that we we look in, at an act. If someone hits someone, that is a sin. Right? We we you see someone take something that belongs to someone else, that is a sin. We can see an act and we can judge an act. But we can't see hearts. We can't see minds. We don't know what people are thinking. And it is not loving your neighbor to impute a false motive to them for something you can't see. And so how appropriate for us to usually view people in the best light, to talk to them and ask questions rather than assume this person is trying to do this to me, to not impute those motives but to trust that God alone sees and act according to actions and words and the things that we know and we hear. It is, um, well, I have to say most of this I've I've gotten from a, a Puritan named Stephen Charnock, and he rightfully points out when we impute false motives to people, we are imitating Satan whose job is to accuse us constantly. My, My third way this helps Remembering God's omniscience, remembering his perfect knowledge helps us to make sense of a world that often doesn't make sense. The older I get, the longer I'm in ministry, the more questions I have than answers. As I walk with those who suffer, as I hear prayer requests of people going through pain and suffering, We have so many questions of why. Why would God allow this to happen? Why does this take place? Why does a good Christian family struggle with having children, an irresponsible teen, as one? Why does someone who is exercising and watching out for their health 
suffer a debilitating disease and someone who acts like they could care less about their body continue to enjoy mobility and goodness? Why do things happen that seem to not make any sense? And God's omniscience is helpful. Now, let me preface that by saying that as someone is going through suffering, as someone is dealing with something, they don't need 10 reasons for God's goodness. They need presence, love, weeping with those who weep. But for those of us, as we get time to question things, as we back off from the immediate raw emotions of suffering that God is also comforting and giving peace, and we ask this why, as we get distance to think about that, as we reflect on it, if God is all-knowing to the point that I can't begin to comprehend him, maybe he has reasons that I can't understand that really are good, that don't look good now, that aren't this thing isn't good, but maybe God's purposes can be beyond my understanding. We all know the experience of taking a child to get a vaccine, and they're wondering why we're we letting someone hurt their arm. They can't comprehend. And, and obviously, you don't sit down to an infant and say, well, you know, here's what we're doing. You just, you just hug them. But we know there's something greater and there's something good that's allowing that pain. And we have these whys, and they're something we ask. It's appropriate to say, why does this happen? But if we look at God and we can say, maybe he knows reasons that I can't understand, incomprehensible to me. But if I look through the scriptures and I say, God allows the suffering of Joseph to be thrown into slavery in Egypt, and God allows his people to be in Egypt, and God allows Judah to be overthrown, and God allows him to go into exile, and God allows the suffering, and God allows um, Herod to kill the infants, and God allows the people to, uh, Jesus to escape and come back, and allows evil to flourish, and God allows Judas to betray him and allows even his own son to die for our goodness. If I look at all the suffering of Scripture to see how it points and brings us to the cross and an ultimate good, I can look at things in this life and say, I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. This, But I know he knows more than me, and I can trust his love. And looking at the cross where he does not withhold his own son, I can say the suffering is not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he doesn't care for us. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it means. I don't have an answer, but I do know he is good and he is faithful. And I can trust that there's reasons an omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-wise God can have beyond my comprehension. And it is this God that we go to to pray and to trust and to ask for comfort that is um, beyond, uh, a peace that is beyond understanding because we at times do not get that understanding, but we know he is beyond us. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.